Please open up God's word with me to John chapter 17. John 17. And while you do, I know we've, uh, we've had the chance to go before the Lord a couple of times um, already this morning, but I, I want to do so one more time. Um, many of you this week have been praying for little Lily, Ronnie and Kevin's granddaughter. Uh, Kevin uh, shared a little bit last week and asked you to pray, and um, they, they were still trying to figure out what was going on uh, as of last Sunday, and, and many of you who have been listening to the prayer chain or reading some of the Facebook posts know that she was uh, this week discovered to have neuroblastoma and um, has it uh, in quite a few different places in her body and uh, is a very, very sick little girl. She's two years old. Um, when Elise and I got a chance to visit her on Thursday, um, it just broke our hearts to see her, her little body in the in the big hospital bed, and um, they had just given her a dose of some pain medicine, and so in, in uh, with her little little quiet two-year-old voice, he said, I think I'm getting better, um, but uh, the whole family needs a lot of prayer right now. Um, when I was texting with Ronnie last night, uh, each day she seems to be getting worse and worse, and they haven't even been able to begin any chemo or anything like that, so... Many of you have been praying for Lily and the family, but continue to do so, please. Um, also, before I pray, I, w- I want to make sure that um, I let you know, uh, remind you, those of you who are coming to the membership class, that's tonight at four, uh, we'll feed you. And um, that means that uh, uh, my, my normal class that meets, um, we'll be using that room for the membership class, so you guys have the night off. Uh, so uh, unless you want to come and sit in and, and kind of have a re- membership class refresher, but my normal class that meets down there will not meet tonight because we'll be having that membership class. But let's just bow one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you on behalf of this sweet little girl and ask that you would bring healing to Lily. Lord God, take this cancer from her body. Do a mighty miracle down there in Ann Arbor today. And God, please surround Kevin and Ronnie and Jay and Christina with your grace today. Lord, they're struggling to trust you. May they they cling to you. Would you be their rock right now, God? Please guide us as we study your word this morning. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm excited about what God is doing in our church. I have, uh, beyond a a shadow of a doubt, a a commitment that God wants to, a, a conviction that God wants to do something great in our midst in 2018. Several years ago, uh, we created a new motto for our church, a new mission. We said the mission of Brown Corners Church is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build them as His church, and to send His church into the world. You've already seen up on the screen at the end of the youth announcement the Great Commission verses of Matthew 28. That's, that's where this statement is anchored. That's where any church's mission statement should be anchored, frankly. And so we've used three keywords out of that mission statement to remind us of our goal, to reach, to build, and to send. But we haven't done a lot 
to flesh that out and, and explain what that looks like for us, Brown Corners Church, for our church members, our church family, to be reaching our community for Christ, to be building our church family up in Christ, and to be sending people out with the gospel of Christ to the ends of the world. And I am excited here in 2018 to be able to uh, walk through this a little bit over the next few weeks and months to flesh this out and kind of put, put flesh on the bones of this mission statement. One of the core values that will kind of fall under the build section is what I want to call relational discipleship. Now, this is, I think, a redundant term because you can't have discipleship without relationships. But I think this is going to end up being the core of one of the things that God wants for us here is a church in Clare County to be the kind of people who are relationally connecting with each other on a very deep level and building each other up in Christ equipping one another, passing along the faith to one another. Now, we're going to talk more about what this means in the coming months, but over the next three weeks, what I want to do is lay a, lay a foundation, and that is I want to talk about relationships. We, we kind of started this a bit last summer when we had our summer of community emphasis, and I want to use that as kind of a springboard to go into what we want to do over the next few weeks so that we might begin thinking about what it means to be a church that reaches, that builds, and that sends. But before we can do any of that, we have to see each other as essential to our spiritual growth. God calls this the body of Christ for a reason. It was God's intention, God's goal from the very beginning to form unity, togetherness among His people. And I believe that that desire on the heart of God goes very all the way back to His very character, His very nature. Today we're going to talk about something that is not commonly preached upon because frankly it's not easy to preach on, and that is the Trinity. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays what we typically call the high priestly prayer, this beautiful passionate prayer the night before he was to go to the cross. And we won't take the time to read all of it, and certainly not time to walk through all of it, but I want to begin at verse 20 and just go through the end of the chapter. Jesus has just finished specifically praying for his disciples, his inner circle, and now he shifts the prayer to all those who will come after them, all those who will believe in Jesus because of the message the disciples are proclaiming. That's us, that's you and me. And so he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You can't read this prayer without seeing God's passion for you and I to be one for his people to come together and be united. This does not mean that we'll always agree on everything. Certainly doesn't mean that we'll all think the same. God did not design us that way, nor does he intend for us to be that way. But Jesus longs and prays to the Father that his people would become one. But he says throughout this prayer that it goes back to who God is. And we see in this text our relational God. If you're taking notes, these, uh, you know, sometimes I try to get cute and make them all rhyme or start with the same letter. Uh, this is nothing of the sort. I was writing down what was on my mind and there's, there's, they're kind of long and choppy and so uh, you'll, please forgive the lack of aesthetics this morning. The first thought I want to share with you this, this morning is our, our, that we have an eternally relational triune God. Now, there's got to be some of us sitting out here thinking, what in the world, Pastor? You're talking about the Trinity? Trinity Sunday is like in May. That's the only time you're supposed to be allowed to talk about the Trinity in church. The rest of the time, it's just a confusing doctrine that just hangs out there. And frankly, Pastor, does it really make any difference in my life? I mean, I'm trying to put food on the table. I got, I got sick kids. It's cold and flu season. I'm just trying to love my spouse. They're getting on my nerves. We're all getting all stir-crazy with the weather. And you're here talking about the Trinity. How in the world does that apply to my life? Bear with me for just a few moments this morning, and we will get there at the end of the message. I believe that all Bible doctrine is practical. Doctrine, if it's rightly taught and rightly understood, should never be boring. If we're bored with doctrine, there's either a problem with our heart or a problem with the person teaching doctrine to us. It's a, it's a crime to make deep spiritual truths boring. And so there are some truths in Scripture that are easy to grab a hold of. Our mind readily wraps around them. We can immediately see how they apply to our life. But there are others that take a little bit more mining, a little bit more turning over and chewing on, like a good piece of steak to get the full flavor and I believe the doctrine of the Trinity is, is just such a doctrine. And so if you'll bear with me for a moment, we're going to sort of wade into the deep end of the, the, the theological pool. I remember my kids, as they all learned how to swim, that was always their goal, so that they could go in the deep end without floaties. All right, we're going into the deep end without floaties this morning, and then we're going to bring it back and show why the Trinity impacts our life, what it means in Brown Corners Church and how it helps us as we begin to think about being the kind of relational, discipleship-making community God wants us to be. The Trinity is important 
because it goes to the very nature of who God is. It goes uh, to the essence of God's character. The doctrine of the Trinity simply, well, simply is the wrong word to use, refers to God's three-in-oneness. God is one in essence, but is three in person. The scriptures teach us that we serve one God, and He is three persons. I love this quote from John Frame, this fantastic theologian, who says, Far from being an obtruse philosophical speculation, the doctrine of the Trinity attempts to describe and account for something biblically obvious and quite fundamental to the gospel. The fact is this. Scripture testifies from the beginning to the end that God is one, but it also presents three persons who are God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting this morning that all three persons of the Trinity have been clearly expressed and focused on upon our worship service. We've prayed to the Father several times. We've sung about the Holy Spirit, and we remember the death of Christ. Three persons, one God. Scripture teaches there's no legitimate argument over the deity of these three persons. Their deity pervades Scripture and assures us that our salvation is from beginning to end, a divine salvation, the work of God Himself. Nor can it be debated whether the biblical God is one. The Old Testament Scriptures teach us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He alone is God. There is none beside Him. So no one can prevent Him from bringing eternal salvation to His people. So God is one, but is somehow three. And my goal this morning is not to help us get that figured out, My goal also from Scripture is not to go to all the places that describe the Father as God, the Son as God, and the Holy Spirit as God. We we could do that another time. But I want you to see that there are are five basic assertions here that I'm just going to go through briefly. If you want to jot them down, you can. First of all, that God is one. God is three. (laughs) The three persons are each fully God. Each person is distinct from the other. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. And the three are related to one another eternally as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, something that has been espoused by the historical church for hundreds and hundreds of years and is foundational to the faith that we have. The reason the Trinity speaks to this whole idea of community and relationship is that the Trinity, for all eternity, from before the foundation of the world, was in perfect harmony and in community and in relationship. If you noticed in Jesus' prayer, in verse 24... He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, that's us, may be with me where I am. So he's praying that we'll get to be in his presence throughout eternity, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Have you ever thought much about this, where love came from, where relationship came from? Did you know that it existed before God created Adam and Eve? 
Adam and Eve were not the first ones that God had set his affection upon. The Bible says that the Trinity existed in loving relationship with one another throughout all eternity. That's why the Bible tells us that God is love. He didn't just become love when he had creation to love. He loved even before there was time. Isn't that incredible to think about? The whole idea of relationship and community goes way, 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 way back. Even before time was created. Because it goes back to the very essence of who God is. That's why, for example, when we talk about a marriage relationship being a picture of God's love for us, it adds a solemnness, it adds a gravity to the covenant relationship that's made in the marriage relationship because love goes back to the very essence of who God is. Jesus said, Father, you've loved me from before the world's creation. And that love is what's pictured in the marriage relationship. So because of who he is, The triune God seeks relationship with us. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, he was speaking from his very nature because communion with another reflects his very being. All of creation was an overflow of God's inner Trinitarian love. God God did not create us because he was somehow incomplete. He didn't pick up a a cheesy line from a romantic comedy when he looked at us and could say, you complete me? Because he was already complete without his creation. There is no verse in the Bible that specifically says why God created us. But as we put scripture together, we can develop this picture that it was an overflow of his love. We've got one of those uh, in our home. We've got one of those uh, pitchers that's uh, like a Brita water filter. And I I hate the thing because um, no matter what sorts of pleadings and um, exhortations I give, no one fills that up when they're done with it. And I don't even use it. I'm okay with our tap water. But I'll come out there and the thing's empty. And I'll see it and I'll think... All right, I guess I got to fill it up. Well, have you ever had one of those things? They're a little bit annoying because it takes a while for the water to trickle through and filter through down to the bottom. So rather than just uh, cranking on the water and filling up the top, I like to turn it on just a little little flow, and then I can walk away, and then when I come back, the bottom's all filled up, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, that's how I do it. Well, the problem is I'll walk away and I'll forget about it and I'll walk back in and, and the water's just coming out all over the top. And then you've got way too much in there and you've got to dump some out for it to be able to pour properly. Otherwise, it's going to dump all over the sink when you're trying to fill your glass. And when, when you get too much liquid in a container that's not big enough for it, it it's, it's going to come out. And I don't know exactly how this worked with the Trinity, but there was, there was so much love is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect unity and harmony 
in fulfilling, loving relationship throughout all eternity, they decided that the overflow of that love was going to be directed to this thing called creation, to, to th- this thing called man and woman, and that that love was going to pursue them no matter how far they ran away. The love of God is so precious because it goes back to his very character in nature. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us, and that's most definitely true. We would know nothing of love without God. So what this means practically is this, that God, because he is a loving being and longs to have relationship with us, means a lot of things, but first of all, it means he doesn't begrudge our presence. He, He doesn't get annoyed with us being there. He's not desirous to shoo us away so he can have some me time. He is always, always, always longing to call us to himself. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love what Michael Reeves says on this point. The very nature of the triune God is to be effusive, ebullient, and bountiful. The Father rejoices to have another beside Him, and He finds His very self in pouring out His love. Creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward explosion of that love. This God is the very opposite of greedy, hungry, selfish emptiness in His self-giving He naturally pours forth life and goodness. He is then the source of all that is good. And that means he's not the sort of God who would call people to himself away from happiness and good things. Goodness and ultimate happiness are to be found with him, not apart from him. This loving God calls us into loving relationship with him, pursues that doggedly, just as he did in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned and were hiding. And he called gently to them, where are you? So that God has not stopped pursuing his people. This morning, God is pursuing you out of the overflow of that inner Trinitarian love. He longs for you to join him. Jesus said here in John 17, he says, that they may be one, in verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. I have to confess to you, I do not understand what that means. Jesus said to the Father, I am in you, you are in me, and I want my people to be included in us. It does not mean that we become God or that we become a, 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 you know, a, 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 a sidecar to the Trinity or anything like that. But somehow God is longing to bring us into this, this loving relationship that is enjoyed, that has been enjoyed throughout all eternity by the Father and the Son and the Spirit. How does that make you feel this morning? Did you come in here feeling kind of blah, looking at the weather forecast? Looking at your circumstances in life, thinking about the trials that you've 
been facing, the sin that has been chomping at your heels, hear this this morning, that God's love for you is a love that began even before you took your first breath. It's a love that began even before time was created. And that's the love that God wants to move in our hearts so that we might move toward others. The Trinity, the knowledge of the Trinity should move us toward others in loving relationship. The Trinity is absolutely foundational to our relational unity. As, as the church, big uppercase C, the, the, the body of Christ, all believers throughout all time, but then within this local assembly that gathers here together at 5540 South Clare Avenue, the intertrinitarian love is absolutely foundational to truly loving each other. And here's where the rubber meets the road. We're not all the same. We come from different places. For the most part, we speak the same language here, but we have different personalities. We have different goals and passions. We look different. We're not... We're not cookie-cutter people. That's the great thing about the gospel. God has brought together people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and brought us into one, His body, His people. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says that just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This morning, God longs to be in relationship with you. I don't know where you're at, but, but maybe you've never experienced that relationship before. You've tried all kinds of earthly relationships. Maybe you've dabbled in spiritual things, other religions. But the God of the Bible says, I have come to seek you and to save you. I want you to, to know me even as I know you. The Bible teaches us that through faith in Jesus Christ, that relationship can begin and it can grow and blossom. But what the, this passage implies then for one another is that it reminds us that relationships are, are about giving. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. That inner Trinitarian love that existed throughout all eternity overflowed into loving creation in pursuit of that creation that ran from and rebelled against God. And that same love that overflows from God should overflow into our hearts and into the lives of the people that we interact with. I believe strongly with all of my being that God wants to do an amazing work at Brown Corners Church now and in the days to come. And I also believe firmly that that is going to include us connecting deeply with one another in discipling relationships. 
But I don't think that'll ever be a priority to me or to you until we first realize that that priority of relational living begins with God. This morning, if you've never met that God in a real and personal way, I want to challenge you. Let today be that day. If you're a Christian who's coming here this morning and for whatever reason maybe strayed from God, hear Him calling you, that eternal loving call. Hear Him calling you back to Himself. This morning, I believe God is calling us to deeper biblical community with one another. But it all comes back to the very character of God, our relational God. Jesus prayed that we may all be one. May God answer that prayer in our midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the greatness of your love for us, Lord, let us be able to just have some time to reflect on what it means that that love has been in existence throughout ages past. I have a hard time remembering yesterday, but to think about what, what happened in eternity before creation and that the Father and the Son and the Spirit were eternally, perfectly fulfilled and content in joyful unity. But in the overflow of that love, you have created us. In the overflow of that love, you have called us to yourself. In the overflow of that love, you have sent your son Jesus to die for rebellious mankind. And in the overflow of that life, you and of that love, you offer salvation to all who will come, who all who will believe, who all will repent and turn to you. Lord, let us rejoice in that love today. And if someone here has never experienced that love, may they do so today. We give glory to your name today, O God. Glory to the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.